0: Personal Diary of Charlie Cooper, April, 1909 When we were young, the smoke was simple. It was the physical manifestation of sin. It marked our bodies, left sooty shame on our linen. We lived in its shadow, were judged by it and praised for its absence tasted it illicitly like forbidden fruit. It structured society, aligned power with morals. Smoke was the central truth of our lives. Then everything changed. You have heard the story of the three spoiled brats who took it upon themselves to understand the smoke. Thomas, Charlie, Livia. That's the order they always put us in, God knows why. We were young and had all the arrogance of youth. Smoke was our enemy then. By learning its truth, we thought we might defeat it. We unchained it instead. Oh, it wasn't an accident. We had a choice. We had learned something, you see, a secret well kept. Smoke was a disease, an infection of the organs It came to us late in human history, in the 1600s, during that first great age of discovery. Some explorer must have brought it back, we still don't know from where. It infected the world, well nigh all of it, and retrospectively was named Eternal, God's punishment for our fall from Eden. I still remember the shock of it. Smoke was a disease, an aberration. It wasn't meant to be. You would have thought it would have steeled our resolve to find a cure. But the more we looked for it, the more we realized something else, something subtle, no less shocking in its implication. That smoke was a disease that made us more human, not less. It was a language of the body, A primitive tongue animated by the deepest urges of the flesh. Ugly, full of truth, and of potential. Imagine smoke, a whistle. All of our lives we had been taught that the purpose of a whistle was to sound alarm. No, not just taught, we had been trained to it. Like you can train a dog to bite all those who raise a stick until every twitch of the arm caused our hackles to rise, our fur to bristle. Smoke was shrill to our ears. And then somebody came along and showed us melody. For there was music in the smoke, a whole spectrum of emotion threading the raw need. Lady Naylor taught us this. Livia's mother. She longed to teach the world. She showed us how to quicken the soot locked within the soil, quicken it so thoroughly that it was like an orchestra rising out of the land itself, ugly and harsh in one place, playful, quiet, beautiful in another. She wished to reinfect the world, retrain it, too, to this music of the body. There was a hitch to this. Lady Naylor was a villain. To achieve what she wanted, she stole a child. We christened him Mowgli, after Kipling's hero. He came from South America, we were told, from a tribe of innocents deep within the jungle, who had never been infected by the smoke. She had him stolen and crated like an animal, then infected him deliberately once he was in her grasp. She needed his blood at the moment of change, while the disease spread through his resisting body, realigning his organs, changing him. A man called Aschenstedt helped her, a scientist and engineer. It was his ingenuity that found the child. Aschenstedt and Grendel, a man incapable of smoke who traded his loyalty for Milady's promise, that his wife and he could keep the child and raise him as their own. As for Thomas, Livia, and me, we were a mere nuisance in their plan, a complication. They bamboozled us with half-truths, manipulated us, thought us misdirected and defeated. And still we stopped them on the brink. I repeat, we stopped them. The world need not have changed. The smoke could have remained simple. It was I who suggested we fulfil Milady's plan.